RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, let's talk about the Israel-Hamas war, shall we? And uh, it's been, well, since October 7th that we woke up in this part of the world. Anyway, we woke up to that incredible story. I want to welcome Kit Knightley, editor of The Off Guardian, onto our program. Uh, the Off Guardian is an independent news site founded in 2015. Kit, thanks for coming on our radio station. We appreciate it. No problem at all. It's happy to be here. Okay, so I'm looking at uh, an article published um, on Off Guardian on the 20th of October. The Israel-Hamas war is already pushing the Great Reset agenda. I want to talk about the points you make in the story because I think it's going to be really interesting for our audience. First of all, though, let's jump in a helicopter and go up as high as we can and look down on this thing. What are we looking at? What do we see, do you think? How do you mean? Is that you mean? Do you want well, me to I mean, you? there are plenty of people who are, you know, um, backing this side, that side, um, um, horrified by images, uh, propaganda from uh, incoming from both ends. People have been protesting, basically picking sides and reacting in particular ways. And I'm just wondering if we take a more remote sort of helicopter view, what, what are we watching? I think, generally speaking, what we're watching is the same thing we watched with the Ukraine and Russia situation. What we're watching is a, a deliberate creation of, of space where people are supposed to pick sides to spread divisiveness, to be honest, and the extreme propaganda from both sides, extreme atrocity pro propaganda from both sides, it's designed to make people emotive rather than rational. You know, you, re you see an image and you react emotionally rather than trying to disentangle why you're seeing it. And that has worked very well, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. No question. It always does. But in some ways, um, and this is sort of a more meta question than maybe we're ready to start this early on, but in some ways it's a good thing that that's what's being done because it's a response to what I would call the failure generally of of COVID to achieve what it was trying to achieve. Um, okay. People got on to the COVID pandemic story and there was a need to create more divisive, distracting um new stories in order to break what was a, a sense of coherence and cohesion amongst people on the COVID idea. So you're basically going to next level. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and affecting the very people that were activated by that COVID experience. Who well, said exactly. something was, was wrong and felt solidarity um, in in knowing that there are others like them and pushing back against you know the authoritarianism now they kind of are they victims of that themselves now? Absolutely, I would say that. I mean, they, they, we've split from like the anti you know the COVID skeptic movement, however you wanted to define it. It was you know it was varied and it was not always agreeing about everything, but it was focused on the same issue. And now we have. Well, then we had Russia versus Ukraine, which split that right down the middle into two. And now Israel, Hamas has split it again into two more. So we're looking at, at eight groups all fighting. You know, there's the people that support Russia and Palestine, and people support Russia and Israel, people support Ukraine and Israel, people support Ukraine and Palestine. We've got four groups all fighting each other in four different directions. And the, the project, which I guess we can say, this is the Great Reset Agenda, runs, continues running in the background. Yeah, it's, it's, the like, a, it's like um, 
an insurance salesman who knocks on your door or a double glazing salesman who knocks on your door, he might stop talking about double glazing for a few minutes, but he's still there to sell you double glazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, good way of putting it. So are we talking about um, actual enemies here? Are these people enemies of each other or are they actors in some kind of grand production? Uh, how, how can we think of, of, of the two sides? Well, there's no question, obviously, that an awful lot of, like, probably the higher up you go, the less real division there is. You know, on the ground level, IDF troops and Hamas fighters obviously are enemies and will fight each other. And and Israel and Palestine are countries with differing, um, or states rather, with differing points of view about various things, and there will be divisions there. But as you get to the ruling elites of all countries, I mean, we and we don't. This isn't a really a matter of debate. We saw during COVID that the ruling elites of all countries all agreed about what to do and the best way to do it, and did it. Um, now you can argue that that may be sort of acting together, or you can argue that maybe the ruling class of almost all countries take orders from a higher a higher position that we don't get to see very much. But that definitely happened. There is a cohesion and a cooperation at the highest level. Yeah. Um, at what level do you think it starts to all become kind of on the same side? Because I get it, you know, down at rank and file, they want to kill each other. I, I can see that. Um, I couldn't say for sure, but certainly, certainly presidents, certainly, you know, the the notional leader of each country, they, they would know. They so Netanyahu, know. Biden? Putin, Xi Jinping. What about the Ayatollah? Oh. Yeah, I would say almost certainly. I mean, it's in one way or another. Or they, if they don't, they don't might not see each other as working together, but they are working towards the same end for their country, which is the same end for the world through the people a couple of steps above them. Right. Some of the tells we're seeing, you mentioned some censorship. Is it right oh, at the just top to, of your... Yeah? Just to, just to go back to answer that question, a good way of looking at it is uh, what author Ian Davis has written, which is okay. to say that all the device presidents who work for a major company might not like each other. They might not always work together, where they're all concentrated on making the same profit for the same company, and yeah. they all answer to the same person. Yeah, and um, and we know with um, with uh, corporate um, structures that it's just about deliverables. There's no conscience involved, really, is there? Exactly. No. Okay, back to what I was just about to say. So, some of the tells that can give us an idea of what's going on here, you've listed out in this piece. And top of the list is censorship. So, when people, when noises are starting to be made about censorship, what does that tell us? Do you think? Well, the censorship has been like, you, you can go back years on that. And always, whenever a story breaks, it's a, a terrorist attack or a disease outbreak or a, the wrong person running for president. It's always, well, the way to sort, sort this problem out is to censor people on the internet. They've been saying that for a decade at this point. Um, but it's kind of, it's certainly kicked up into like a more officious gear again since COVID. And again, it's a response to COVID or other response to the response to COVID. They had a plan. It didn't work largely because of, you know, um, the alternate media being on Twitter and Facebook and telling people stuff they weren't supposed to know. 
So if the next time they want to do something like that, they need to make sure that mechanism is no longer there. So everything is now about controlling the internet. In the UK, we had we just had the online online safety bill passed just last week. Charles signed it. It's now law. We yet to see exactly how that's going to change things, but it's going to change things. Um, and there are similar acts. You know, you, you told me one um, of one that's going on in New Zealand right now. Yes. They just passed a similar one in Canada. We're talking um, about it. We're a little behind, but yeah, it's the same kind of formulation. Yep. Um, and again, Israel Hamas has already got people talking about hate speech and stuff on on social media, and encouraged um, all the major social media companies were sent letters by the head of the EU to say, "Watch out for disinformation about Israel." And they all said, "Yeah, we will. Thanks, boss." Um, wow. Yeah, so this is this is this is a response to learning from the COVID experience, obviously. That's what I would argue. Yeah, definitely. They've learned that basically they left too much freedom and uh, freedom of speech in place for people to argue against what they were trying to sell. Um, I, I, interestingly, it it um it will tie in with climate change as well. I mean, they've okay. already already seeing people saying. I wrote I wrote an article about this recently saying climate denial should be illegal because it's dangerous. Um, and it's, it's, it's just interesting how all these things always link together in the end. I mean, the, the three articles in your original email to me, you wanted to, you wanted to talk about, you wanted to talk about Israel Hamas, you wanted to talk about the online safety act, and you wanted to talk about the, um, the other one I wrote the other day about climate change and the public health crisis. Yeah, but really, those three articles are kind of about the same thing. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, 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 they're about they're about like diversifying their product. Basically, they're selling the same thing as they were selling during COVID, only they're selling it in three different ways at three different times. And it's about redoing COVID eventually, or what COVID was intended to achieve under slightly different circumstances, have a better laid the groundwork. They split up the, the alternate news into factions that weren't cooperating anymore. They've mm. made it more difficult for people to post, push dissent online, and they've made it more of a threat by being a climate threat rather than a COVID threat, which wasn't scary enough. And you've got the people now who would um, normally push back divided amongst themselves as well. Yeah, exactly. The um, COVID effort, do you think that was a depopulation effort or just a way to divide and conquer and to put um, people into manageable groups like those who comply and those identify those who don't and we know who we're dealing with? It seems to have a more sinister feel than that, maybe, though that is sinister. I wouldn't. Um, I'm not sure about depopulation because... Well, people, <sighs> injuries and, and deaths, you know, have seemed to have resulted. Yes, but I'm not sure enough to call it what would be the end game, you know. Right. Okay. I'm also I've never completely, completely been on board with the idea of a depopulation agenda because in some ways I don't see how it helps an elite to have fewer workers available. You know, if you look back at the um, the Black Death in in Britain in the in Europe and, and Britain in the 14th century, hmm. the resultant lack of labor afterwards meant that it actually was good for workers rights they could demand higher wages because there were fewer of them so you couldn't just go to the next guy 
Um, so in in some ways, I've never been entirely sure that a massive depopulation agenda would be on the cards. I can see the arguments for what, or how they, what, that they are trying to do it. I just don't see what the reasoning would be. Um, so pe- people who um, are climate fixated do perceive human beings as sort of pathogens on the face of the yes, earth. I mean, that's, that's the thing. They, they talk about that kind of thing. That is very alarming when they say like, oh, well, we need to reduce the population by half. I just don't see that that would ever achieve what they think it would achieve. Yeah. Um, but but, COVID, but, but, think... but there's, certainly, there, there's certainly hostility towards the human being because... Oh, absolutely. Look, look what's happened here. People have been horrifically killed. Um, I think the death toll, as we speak, is up to around 10,000 in Gaza. There's horrific um, videos and film of terrible things happening to everyday people that we can relate to. It horrifies yeah, us. They don't, they don't care about the damage, do they, to people? Oh, no. It's, it's not a question of like em- empathy or, or caring. And certainly there is... Depopulation agenda or not, there is a dehumanization agenda. And that was a major thing in COVID, was to right. stop thinking about people as if they were people. Other people are not humans. Other people are infection vectors. You know, your neighbor can't be trusted because he's not wearing his mask properly. Mm. Unvaccinated people aren't really people anymore. I mean, that's that was certainly a message to like to get people to just think about people as non-people, non-humans yeah. anymore. Yeah. What about, um, because we're we're talking about social media as as a technology, Um, you mentioned in this piece, and yeah, we we did want to talk about three pieces, but they do merge kind of into one once you get into it. Um, This um, further push, you know, there's more than just manipulating social media. These tools now for recognition and management of people where they are, uh, who they are, instantly known through recognition. That's also, you also mentioned that's being, pushed out quite heavily as a result of what we're seeing just now. Yeah, the um, the facial recognition technology. I mean, they, they quietly rolled that out in several places over the last few years. I mean, it's been a thing in China for a long time. Yeah. Um, the the, the um, Met Police used, use it at pro-Hamas rallies and to tie into the um, pro-Palestine rallies, to be fair, not pro-Hamas rallies. Hmm. And... And of course, the same people that said, oh, facial recognition technology and mass surveillance is an invasion of privacy, will that now say, that's great, you got to recognize terrorists early. Um, that's a symptom of the division that's been deliberately sowed in to the, um, the alternate news sphere. An example you've given of that, many people will know the name is Douglas Murray, right? Who's been a like a campaigner, campaigner and champion for free speech and calling everybody out. And even he has uh, kind of flipped. Yeah, yeah, um, and and several in that similar sort of Peterson? conservative uh, Jordan Peterson. I was just going to mention um, these are people who would consider themselves to be sort of champions of free speech. Suddenly saying, "Well, that free speech is dangerous. That free speech is wrong," based purely on their. I mean, it, it's funny because they haven't really affected change because the people that listen to them don't really agree. What they have done, I would argue, is massively discredit themselves. I, I, like, I would agree with you there. Totally. Like next next time they talk about free speech, they don't have a leg to stand on. Well, I always thought that uh, Jordan Peterson came across, and I've been watching his stuff for a long time, even, you know, when he was still back in the sort of the schoolyard at the university that he was sort of like this incredible thinker and could see everything clearly, clear eye all the time, could filter out the BS. Turns out, no, 
Well, I mean, everybody has. Unless he's being paid. <laughs> well, he's, I'm not sure what happened. He Maybe he got paid or maybe he just, something, some little issue is his button and it pressed it and he got emotional and irrational and people do stupid things when they're not being rational. He's, he's completely, he's broken. Like, and you can see already like whoever manages like his branding or whatever has already tried to get him to walk back on it a little bit. Oh, so they've seen them. Yeah. They've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is money uh, at stake there, but Douglas Murray um, as well. I mean, it's not just one, it's, it's multiple. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I would say just that was why Israel and Hamas was a, a good, a good, issue to use for this because it is very divisive yeah. and it's very extreme on both ends yeah. because well, there are genuine grievances on both sides there is genuine humanitarian crisis in gaza there's genuine human suffering but at both ends of that there's also a lot of people that don't like muslims just for being muslims and a lot of people that don't like jews just for being jews and they've sort of tapped in to that and a lot of very unpleasant people have like use this as an excuse to start saying some very unpleasant things, again, on both ends. It reminds like, me of big-time wrestling, you know? Exactly. That's, that, that is funny you should say that, because that's actually a comparison I use all the time. You've got the, the heel and the face always. Yep, that's right. And, and the and manager. Into, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you get your tribal support coming in behind. Yeah. Um. In terms of, uh, have you, I want to talk about the alt media being divided in a moment, but uh, I mean, there are some weird things around, as I understand it anyway, and, and who knows how reliable that is, um, but some interesting um, uh, things that happened at the beginning of this on October 7th. They, they apparently, you know, no one was watching the border. Um, no one had been monitoring um, the what some people have said were the people training, the Hamas people training in plain sight for weeks before that. There was a um, a slow response. Kind of, you could form the impression, and, and Hamas must have known that that brutality was going to, you know, really provoke Israel into scorched earth um, response. Um, it, it's kind of like, uh, I don't want to say it, but they, they, they sort of let it happen. Oh, well, that's the... Um... That's the the old the the lie hop, isn't it? With the terrorist attacks, that's what a lot of terrorist attacks are argued with, and lie hops, which is let it happen on purpose. Right. You get you get warnings that it's about to happen, and you tell your guards to stand down, and you then you feed off the atrocities that result. I mean, the the argument a lot of the time is whether it's lie hop, let it happen on purpose, or may hop, made it happen on purpose. Right. Um, I I couldn't take a position as I haven't studied it enough yet, but. There are certainly a lot of a lot of red flags around the like I mean, men on hang gliders like just flying into the most defended airspace in the world doesn't make any sense to really Yeah, with a hundred attack helicopters within about half a mile or two uh, miles. And there are reports that IDF forces took six hours to get there and stuff like that. There was clearly a lot of a lot of chaos and a lot of incompetence at best on on Israel's part. But then there was also an awful lot of of like just white noise media outrage stuff happening. Like the nobody knows still exactly what happened. Yeah. Like um, 
Nobody knows why, for example, that music festival had its location moved just two days before it was supposed to happen. There you go. And there was the the girl. The, the she was like the the front page girl, the German Afri- woman. Yeah, who was reported to be dead, and then was reported to be alive, and now was reported to be dead again. And so, had the fo- like, had the footage of her on the vehicle, and you know, well, footage footage of. I would say the footage of somebody because you never actually see a face in that video. About to so say I, that. Yeah, how would you know? I don't know who I don't know who that is. And and the nature of internet videos is that the nature of, of videos these days at all is that you have to be pretty skeptical. And, and that's perfectly healthy to say, I don't know where that video came from and I don't know who it's in it. Yeah. Um for all I know, that video could be it could be entirely computer generated. It could be touched up with with computer technology. And this applies to all videos. Yeah, well the legs be, were in an unusual position, I gotta say. It, it could be a video from 10 years ago that they change. It could be a video that's been completely... Cre- I mean, you can see links online of computer-generated videos of almost anything. You know, a good computer artist can render a video of a, a car crash in Unreal Engine 5 or something like that that looks totally real. Yeah, so That's not to say anything is fake, but it's very important like in the modern media landscape to accept that anything could be. And just to reserve a little bit of judgment on everything like that. Well, video games footage was being used to show apparently Ukrainians yeah. shooting down Russian helicopters in the Ukraine yeah. war. Clearly, yes, you know from high-end uh, graphics games. And um, I noticed some of the uh, buildings that were blown up in Gaza early on. People were saying, "Well, actually, that's from 2014." You know? Yeah, yeah. So um, the the first the first the first um, story of Guardian ran about Israel. We used a stock image from a website. Um, of a building in Gaza on fire, and it just it just na- naturally said in the description of the stock image when I downloaded it, it said "compute generated with computer imagery." It's it's not real. Wow! And that was within a few few hours of of the the Gaza bombing starting. There were already stock images created by just available for anybody to use. So you know you just have to keep one eye open to the potential to be fooled by these things. I think that's very healthy. Well, I think people were even questioning the footage of the Iron Dome working because it's easy to have lights and skyrockets going bang in the sky and look like something. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong, but people were even questioning that. As, as the I, didn't actually, I didn't actually see that footage yet, but again, who knows? Yep. It could be. It could be footage of the Iron Dome working 10 years ago when Gaza fired different rockets at different targets. It could be footage of some tests they did, or it could be footage of a couple of rockets then like exaggerated to look like more. They can do all sorts of things like that. You really need to have the the big filter, the BS filter on there. In terms of alt media, would you describe yourself as alt media off Guardian? Oh, I I don't know. I never really know what to call it. Alt media, indie media. Well, not the mainstream. Um, well, obviously not. Yeah. So far off the main Same for us. Same for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, the effort to divide that, because you can see why they'd want to make, they would want to make that effort. Um, will that happen, do you think? In, in some ways, I mean, both speaking personally and having seen it happen, mm. they, they did. I mean, there are, there are COVID groups that had, like large, you know, large numbers of, of disparate indie journalists in that broke apart almost as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine. I don't know of any that 
went the same way after um, Hamas and Israel kicked off, but I wouldn't be surprised. There are certainly people that um, no longer can consider me or of Guardian to be like on the right side of history because of the position we took on Ukraine and that kind of thing. Why do you think um, it seems that, uh, well, in Europe anyway, and, and the US it seems, um, that uh, Palestinian, the Palestinian side has been sort of fingered as as the bad guy. You know, it's the Palestinian, pro-Palestinian uh, protests that, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are, seem to be more threatened. Well, is, is that picking sides, is it? I'm not sure that's even true, I have to say. I would say there are people in the UK taking the Palestinian side that I would never have thought would do. I don't know right. if you know who Piers Morgan is or if yeah, of New Zealand is yeah, yeah. Big time. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, I oh, thought yeah, maybe yeah. on <laughs> thought maybe on the side of the, world, the other side of the world you'd be safe from him. But yeah, I mean oh, he's no. he's defending Gaza on Twitter, which is not something I would ever have thought I would see Piers Morgan do. Oh he's um, defending Gaza now. Oh yeah. He's talking about I the humanitarian I didn't realize for a ceasefire. No. Okay. Um, I think, like all things, I think is actually carefully balanced. I think they will keep both sides, keep both sides. They'll feed both sides a little bit of stuff to be outraged about, and feed both sides a little bit of stuff to feel that they're right about. You know, they'll and they'll carefully balance their celebrity endorsements and so on. Yeah. Um, like, th- there's all sorts of. There was a little bit of footage, for example, of. Jason Statham, the actor, putting a Palestinian flag on his car, which was leaked to the media. And that's the kind of thing that you have to sort of be aware of. You know, why is this guy randomly filming Jason Statham's car? How did he know it was Jason Statham's car? And it's just Hmm. that kind of thing is creating, you know, creating a sort of fake viral campaign showing who's on what side, that kind of thing. And so actors and artists will go to the Palestinian side and like the conservatives will go to the Israeli side and so on. Wasn't Piers Morgan pretty heavily, uh, you know, um, first off anyway, sort of like um, pro-Israeli and calling the other side, you know, devils? I actually um, didn't. He repeated certainly the, um, the, the 40 beheaded babies story. Yeah. And then, and then um, kind of got, got challenged on that by a Palestinian or an Egyptian who went on his show. I mean, again, the 40 the baby story is another one you could talk about for ages because it's it's a straight um straight ripoff of the tossing babies out of incubators story from yeah. 1990. Yes, person. exactly. Yeah. And that you know that that is always going to just instantaneously push a button. Yes. Yeah, I mean babies is like babies and puppies. It's always babies and puppies that gets people <laughs> on side. Well, I think um, Netanyahu was criticised, wasn't he, in his biblical sort of rantings. Um, I think the, the thing that, that, that people were making a point of is, um, you know, that, that destroy everything, including the pets. So, you know, yeah. that seemed to be a bit of a, a sad thing. The elites. Okay, so um, people are saying that um, this conflict has the potential to kind of spiral into, well, people are saying World War Three. Is that productive for the elites? Um, it depends. The idea of World War Three, I think, would be very productive. Oh, okay, um, the idea war, of it. 
Yeah. War is war is productive because war has always been great, first and foremost, for making money. Um, obviously, I mean, as Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, said in an interview recently talking about Ukraine, he said, yes, we're giving $100 billion to Ukraine, but it's fine because they give most of it back when they buy American planes and tanks and things. Um, so obviously... <laughs> Yeah, he, he probably shouldn't have said that, but he said killing it. people for money, and 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 war is great because it also, whilst making money for big arms companies, it takes a nation's production. You know, it takes their metal, it takes their oil, it takes their coal, it takes their engineers, it takes the products of their labor, and it blows them up. Like you make a bomb, it gets blown up. You have to make another one. Yeah. Instead of taking that those same materials and making a hospital, or making a school, or making a a bus, or you know, you, you instead of making something of any practical use, you make something that is used once and then destroyed. And by that and that way, they actually limit the profit to the nation of the nation's labor, and it keeps people poorer. Um, George Orwell had a great quote about that, which. I don't remember off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but or Orwell is the is the is the best writer ever on the nature of modern war. He he absolutely nails it in nineteen eighty four. He says the nature of warfare warfare is now a purely internal affair, um, meaning that a war is fought notionally against another country, but really a war is fought by the government against its own people. And both sides, both governments, although fighting each other in theory, are actually fighting the war simply to manage control of their own society. And that, I think, is what World War Three would be. So even though you've got a whole bunch of uh, um, disparate players from, you know, uh, theocracies, see, whatever the word is, through to, you know, supposedly um, fully democratic countries, they all kind of can all benefit. They can all benefit the same way yeah absolutely i mean again i mean i'm just going to start reeling off like pretty cliche quotes at this point but Herman goering said that that it works the same in any country yeah oh dear um okay so um with understanding all of this we can kind of in a way reverse engineer the next moves can't we i believe so i mean i think the next move a long time down down the line. I mean, this is just a theory. This is my pet theory that I've never really written about extensively because mm. it's purely like an idea still. But I think at some point the UN will make some statement about how we can't do like World War Three may or may not start notionally. And then there'll be like an idea that well, this war was too dangerous and it destroyed the world and then we need some sort of globalist government to make sure we don't do wars ah, anymore. Here we go. That's This um, is the reset bit. That's, that's, that, that will be a little while down the line, I would argue, but I think that will happen. There's also going to be, and they tried doing this in, in late 2021, early 2022, but it didn't, it kind of fizzled out. What, what they called briefly and now don't talk about it anymore, the pivot from COVID to climate. Ah, um, yep. Um, I think a lot uh, of us are expecting that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they've started rebranding climate change 
as not an environmental crisis, but a public health crisis. And you've got the um, the WHO um, health international health regulations. Um, they're able to draw up what they call pandemics, but could it, that could encompass things like effects of climate change? Well, yeah, because they, I mean, they call them pandemics informally, but they, their official term is a public health emergency of That's international it. concern. That's the one. So like that can mean pretty much anything you want it to mean. And uh, and only one guy has the say and everybody falls into line. So that's yeah. that global kind of control. Yes. How, how far away, when do you think we'll start hearing the, the real in-your-face um, um, talk of climate change, you know, in this context? I mean, it's going to come out and, and be in full view at some point, isn't it? It will. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not for a, a little while yet, depending on, funnily enough, depending on the weather. Um, they'll, they're, they're opportunistic with the climate change things. If you have a couple of days of, of, of bad weather, they'll in with the climate change stories. But however bad it is, if, if it snows really heavily here in Britain, they'll be like, well, that's that's climate change, obviously. And if, there'll be a few days of climate change stories. Um, and, or if it's unseasonably warm, people that's climate change obviously in a few days of climate change stories so in some ways they are kind of controlled by the weather in that sense unless they can control the weather themselves and i i doubt they can you're not they're not flying um um you know contrailing aircraft uh, um kim trials around the sky oh dear um, I suppose it's useful to have people thinking that. But uh, one thing I have noticed is the way that weather is reported is that there's a lot more drama and emotion put into the reporting of weather. And anything that's uh, outside of kind of the normal experience is called an extreme weather event now. And then you'll hear the inevitable, well, of course, we're going to have more extreme weather events now with yeah, climate exactly. change. And, and and people seem to... So it's already it's already happening. As, as really. oh, in some ways, it's definitely... I mean, like right now, right this minute, where I live in the UK is experiencing what they call what they're calling. I think it's Storm Kieran, yep. but it's it's not a storm. Like even like if you look at the wind speeds they're reporting and then look at the Beaufort scale, it doesn't register as a storm. Um, yeah, I noticed because- that. Um, I, I watch uh, the li- sometimes the live feed from Heathrow Airport, and they've been promoting that storm. You know, um, footage of the storm uh, where I live. It's not uncommon for the wind to be gusting 120 k's an hour regularly, and I looked at that and I thought, "That ain't no storm." Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm still miles per hour, so are we going to have to do some conversion? Okay, there, that, but... so that 120 yeah, that's about 60, uh, 65, 70 miles an hour. I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the, the strongest gusts predicted for this are about 45 miles per hour. So, like, well, that's a regular day KPH. here. That's kind of a regular day here. So. But but people do tend to respond to, you know, it gets to people. They believe yeah. it. Uh, um, it's uh, they again. It's a, they they did it during COVID as well. They just basically they slightly change the language and then report like it's it's the oldest trick in the book really to just change what a word means and then report that it's it has changed. You say like you redefine a any any car accident as a car scraping a curb. And then you say, "Oh, car accidents are up five thousand percent yesterday." Yeah, yeah, and, and there's just a little scratch on the rim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so 
Um, trying to sort of reverse engineer the progression of what's going on now. Have you thought about much of that? So how long can this um, th- this part of this you know chapter go on for? And then does it get bigger or can you see any sort of like uh, left field things that could happen that could you know put a spanner in the works for them? Uh, I'm not sure what left field things could happen. I think um, World War Three as a story may expand into other little wars. I wouldn't be surprised if if something kicked off with China and Thailand or China and Hong Kong. Maybe not a war, but some sort of unsettling, some sort of unrest in in China. Right. Um, there's well, like whole... opportunistic, like an opportunistic move while everyone's looking the other way, kind of thing, or but more that like just creating little pockets of of wars oh, okay yeah in various different hot areas which can then like collectively caught be told we're in world war three because all these different wars are sort of connected um it's going to be interesting to see what direction the the 2024 presidential election goes um yeah not that i'm i'm suggesting it's going to be a fair fight or anything because obviously it's going to be rigged like 2020 was but how rigged and rigged for who is always an interesting thing to watch. Um, and that brings me to another question that you may or may not want to answer. But if we were to look at the sort of the kernel of all of this, where the central part of this, maybe it's distributed, is it the United States? Is it China? Where is it? I don't think where applies anymore. Right, I have to say, I, I think it's a, it's very much a who, not a where. It's a what, not a where. There's a, there is a corporate sort of overclass that will, you know, certainly the head of imperial power on the planet was Britain, and then it was America, hmm. and I think post Cold War it became apparent that there doesn't really need to be a geographic center of power. Is it multipolar now, Kit? Well, that's that's a word a lot of people started using recently. And it used to be, funnily enough, when Afghanistan started, a multipolar world seemed like a good thing, and it's one we used to argue for. Um, but we were kind of under the impression at the time that a multipolar world would involve poles that are different. Yeah. Um, and instead, yeah. the multipolar world we're being sold now is that... Um, two poles that are identical except for the color which isn't really a multipolar world it's just a multicolored world yeah wow anything anything we've missed out there anything that you think we should mention before we wind up our chat i can't think of anything off the top of my head we've done a pretty good pretty good job covering stuff i would say um what, what sort of response are you getting to your to off guardian um audience um what sort of feedback are you getting are you ha, ha, given what you're covering and 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 what you're saying have you interestingly uh, actually, that that's an interesting question actually yep. um i would say there is more reception generally not just off guardian but generally to the whole refusal to take sides on israel and hamas than there was on a refusal to take sides between ukraine and russia i think I don't know if that's the nature of the conflict or because people are getting wise to the playbook. If you see what I, I, I think they're getting wise. Uh, 
Yeah, who knows? But uh, I suspect the people I know, I think you know, people have got a bit bit more wise to rushing to anything. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think that's what's happened. And again, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, that could be the spanner in the works. <laughs> exactly. Eventually. Well, it's been really interesting speaking with you, Kit Knightley, editor of Off Guardian. Thanks so much for making some time for us. No problem at all. Very and, happy to be here. And all the best for what you're doing, and we'll keep an eye on things, and maybe we'll talk again. That would be great. Thanks very much. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.